Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brainworms, the all-seeing panopticon that knows when you're sleeping and awake. I'm Joe. But we actually don't give a shit if you've been good. For yeah, we don't care sake. about yeah. any of that. We just like to keep tabs on what you're doing. Yeah, I'm David. And I'm Chris. Are you sure? You kind of hesitated there. I mean, can we any of us ever really know? Yeah, I guess identity is kind of an abstract amorphous thing if you really look at it closely particularly if you live all of your life inside of a simulated reality Mm, it's true i mean i don't see how that's relevant to us it's it's definitely not relevant to us in any way from the moon well then why why did you bring it up i just say things i just you know (laughs) i open my mouth and words just sort of come out fall out i can't relate to that at all no, Nothing I mean, you've, about me you've is... always struck me as the sort of person who really carefully considers everything you're about to say. Yeah. 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 You, like, have you heard that rule, you know, chew 45 times before swallowing? No. Is that a thing? That's a, th- that's a thing. That's a lot of times. That's yeah. so much chewing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something like that. It's like a chronic masticator, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's like, uh, all right. Well, we got the Jenkins case closed. Maybe we can work on that public masticator. <laughs> I had a poke bowl for lunch and it was delicious. Anyway. <laughs> Just no engagement with okay with my delicious lunch. That's fine. I had a bologna and cheese sandwich, so <laughs> I'm envious of your poke bowl. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, it's way better. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to talk about Ready Player One some more. Ernest Klein's novel that seems entirely built on... Just making references to things. Pretty much. I mean, there there is a story in there. There is. David, the ever-vigilant hobbit-ish defender against the wyvern that is Joe and I hating <laughs> on this book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of David's role on the show, is just to mitigate our bullshit. <laughs> Jesus, what did I sign up for? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's it's not a great book. It's it's an okay book, and you're right. Mm. It is mostly built on the premise of we're just gonna make a bunch of references to stuff. And hey, do you see what I did there? Right. But as you get into the later book, if anybody like you know is inspired by listening to this podcast to go and read the thing, mm-hmm. uh, it does kind of talk a little bit about identity and self and sort sure. of some of those themes and. It is ultimately, I think, in many ways, just a less interesting version of Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. I don't disagree, just based on what we've read of it, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if you can only read one, read that one. Right. And David, tell me if you agree with this. It feels like uh, like a high school kid wrote this. And I don't mean that to be insulting, like a really intelligent high school kid. But like they just had so much that they wanted to say, and they, they didn't quite understand the aspect of you know like focusing the point and when to bring up x and y topic and he was just so excited to get his thoughts on paper have you seen the movie high fidelity no it's a great movie i feel like this book was written by jack black's character in that movie oh shit he's not a teenager right but He's just kind of clinging to, golly, it was great when I was a teenager, and let me try and channel that energy all the time. Yeah, I I can see that. Wait, was Jack Black in a movie that wasn't a comedy? No, Fidelity is a comedy-ish. It's like a romantic 
comedy, but also not funny. It's funny, but not a comedy. This I, it's a good movie. You should check it out. It is. High Fidelity is a very good movie. You should watch it. But yeah, we're going to read more fucking... I almost said we're going to read more Snow Crash. I wish we were going to read more Snow <laughs> Crash. Uh, we're going to read more Ready Player One. I'm going to remind you to go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com where you can find all of our other things which might actually be happening we might actually have other projects soon what i know right and you can support us on patreon because my elaborate plan to get rich selling david's feed picks has not panned out yeah yeah that's uh it it would help if i had feet wait what i don't know i <laughs> Let's just get through this so that we can record 12 rules for living your life and then we'll move on to tapeworms. There's a little little spoiler for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're ready to get into this? I uh stay tuned for those things. <laughs> All right, let's uh jack in. Yeah, yeah, plug into the the not the the oasis I think is the the yeah. matrix in this one, yeah. Yeah, guys. Not- Guys, we're we're ready to read Ready Player One. I've said ready too many times that now it doesn't have any meaning. All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, yes. Semantic satiation. Let's just go. They didn't find out about the Easter egg's existence until a few months later, when kids all over the world began to discover it. I was one of those kids and finding Robinette's Easter egg for the first time was one of the coolest video gaming experiences of my life. So much so that the studio took credit for that and said it was all intentional. (laughs) The young Halliday drops his joystick and stands. As he does, the living room fades away, and the scene shifts again. Don't take out your joystick in public, it's rude. Halliday now stands in a dim cavern, where light from unseen torches flickers off the damp walls. Get to the point. In the same instant, Halliday's appearance also changes once again as he morphs into his famous oasis avatar, Anorak, a tall, robed wizard with a slightly more handsome version of the adult Holiday's face, minus the eyeglasses. Anorak is dressed in his trademark black robes, with his avatar's emblem, a large calligraphic letter A, embroidered on each sleeve. Before I died, Anorak says, speaking in a much deeper voice, I created my own Easter egg and hit it somewhere inside my most popular video game. Way up my ass. <laughs> I was just thinking that. The Oasis. Way up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> the first person to find Is my the Easter Oasis egg. up his ass? Is that the uh, whole... Yeah, yeah. Way up there. Way up there, Morty. Way up there. <laughs> the first person to find my Easter egg will inherit my entire fortune. <laughs> His Easter egg's up his ass. Another dramatic pause. The egg is well hidden. I didn't just leave it lying under a rock somewhere. I suppose you could say that it's locked inside a safe that is buried in a secret room that lies hidden at the center of a maze located somewhere. He reaches up to tap his right temple, up here. But don't worry. Is this like what would happen if we preserved Peter Molyneux to this point in time? I can see that, yeah. Yeah. Sands the the sands the large wealth, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, this character is supposed to be a little bit Steve Jobs, yeah, a little yeah. bit Bill Gates, yeah, definitely like, weird eccentric guy. 
I believe that in the mind of Ernest Klein, this character is supposed to be aspirational, but he's such a wank. <laughs> I kind of want to bully him a little bit. I mean, you know, he was an 80s video game nerd, so I think you're supposed to want that. That's fair. Just, like, culture. Wait, why would a 2000s gaming nerd feel like they're it's all right for them to pick on an 80s gaming nerd it's not because he's a nerd it's because he's just an unlikable asshole <laughs> if it were just his nerdiness i'd be like yeah you could be my buddy we can hang out a la the rest of us right and it might just be my innate contempt for the rich kind of bleeding over to this character right but i find him deeply unlikable okay <laughs> i'm glad you approve but don't worry I've left a few clues lying around to get everyone started. And here's the first one. Anarak makes a grand gesture with his right hand, and three keys appear, spinning slowly in the air in front of him. They appear to be made of copper, jade, and clear crystal. And they're going right up my ass. <laughs> as the keys continue to spin, Anarak recites a piece of verse, and as he speaks each line, it appears briefly in flaming subtitles across the bottom of the screen. Three hidden keys open three secret gates, wherein the errant will be tested for worthy traits, and those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits. C minus. Do you remember, and Chris won't, the early 2000s when everybody had a GeoCities website with like flaming mm -hmm. letter GIFs and shit oh, like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was the coolest thing? Well, I remember the first half of that. What's a GIF? <laughs> Do you mean GIF? Apparently that's the wrong way to say it. I, I get shit for saying it that way a lot. <laughs> what is a GIF? Is it like a JPEG mixed with a GIF? Because JPEG makes sense. It has a J in it. Right. Because yeah, you, you don't say JPEG. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the guy that created, because like the guy who created the file type mm -hmm. pronounces it GIF. I've always read it as a soft G and I, I just stuck with it. Well, what does it mean? Graphic image file yeah yeah it's graphic image file yeah and it should be gif by all accounts by all rights it should be gif but the guy that created it is probably trolling the entire internet sure <laughs> now gentlemen if we can move on from this topic of debate on to the subject of maymays <laughs> memes i will beat you with a shoe <laughs> damn it perhaps a chocolate as he finishes, the jade and crystal keys vanish, leaving only the copper key, which now hangs on a chain around Anorak's neck. He looks like Flava Flav. The camera follows Anorak as he turns and continues farther into the dark cavern. A few seconds later, he arrives at a pair of massive wooden doors set into the cavern's rocky wall. These doors are banded with steel, and there are shields and dragons carved into their surfaces. I couldn't playtest this particular game, so I worry that I may have hidden my Easter egg a little too well. It might be buggy as hell. Made it too difficult <laughs> to reach. stop any other gaming company. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, it'll be fine. There's going to be some uh, DLCs. Yeah, <laughs> huge day one patches. And then it's going to break the game. Yup. I'm not sure. If that's the case, it's too late to change anything now. So I guess we'll see. Anarak throws open the double doors, revealing an immense treasure room filled with piles of glittering gold coins and jewel-encrusted goblets. Analysis reveals dozens of curious items hidden among the mounds of treasure, most notably 
several early home computers, an Apple IIe, a Commodore 64, an Atari 800XL. Do you think there's going to be a, a fight in the comments section because of Chris and I saying that it's GIF and you and Joe saying that it's GIF? I hope so. I really do. <laughs> do you think uh, that's going to bother me? Because the creator does say that it's pronounced GIF. Mm-hmm. But that's really stupid. <laughs> I've been told multiple times that it's wrong. It's just for some reason, maybe because it it's a G and then a vowel, my my mind just softened it by default. Well, no, no, I think I think that the guy that created it is just a troll. I think that's right. what it is. I think that graphic doesn't have a G. You're not sound wrong. That's just the way that I've always read it, and I yeah, can't not no, say no, it that I mean, way at this yeah. point. That's you know, creators don't always have carte blanche on that. Oppenheimer regretted making the atomic bomb, but it was still used anyway. Right. I mean, dead racist HP Lovecraft Mm -hmm. actually said that if you're going to say Cthulhu, it would be more like Cthulhu. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was was more like there was more like a cough. That makes sense. I'm I'm not going to say it that way because fuck HP Lovecraft, but exactly. (laughs) I I guess I can't see how you would pronounce it that way. Hey, death of the author, literally in this case. Yeah. Dozens of video game controllers for a variety of game systems and hundreds of polyhedral dice like those used in old tabletop role-playing games. Fucking nerd. (laughs) Then he steps into the open doorway and turns to face the viewer, stretching out his arms to hold open the giant double doors. A freeze frame of this scene appears nearly identical to a painting by Jeff Easley that appeared on the cover of the Dungeon Master's Guide a Dungeons & Dragons rulebook published in 1983. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so without further ado, Honorak announces, let the hunt for Halliday's Easter egg begin. And the hunt for Red October. I think then that's the 90s he vanishes too. in a flash of light, leaving the viewer to gaze through the open doorway at the glittering mounds of treasure that lay beyond. Then the screen fades to black. At the end of the doom, video, doom, doom, doom. Halliday included <laughs> doom, a link doom, to his doom, personal doom. website, which had changed drastically on the morning of his death. For over a decade, the only thing posted there had been a short looping animation that showed his avatar, Anorak, sitting in a medieval library, hunched over a scarred work table mixing potions and poring over dusty spellbooks, with a large painting of a black dragon visible on the wall behind him. But now that animation was gone. And in its place, there was a high score list, like those that used to appear in old coin-operated video games. The list had what ten numbered spots. operated boys? Sitting on a shelf. It's a good song. He is just a toy. Uh, the list had right, ten numbered spots, and each displayed the initials JDH. I think Chris is Holiday. <laughs> yeah, this book's not I mean, shy about making its point forever. I do want to know, like, what would you guys prefer in terms of world building and actually setting? So much of this could have been Trump. It's just he's a rich guy. He left a treasure hunt and he likes 80s stuff. Sure. They could have truncated that. You know, and and the 80s references that can happen later on in the challenges. Sure. But don't you think it's important to, like, have that set up as the like setting the tone for no, the story. <laughs> because we'll learn about him through his challenges. We won't if we just continue to say, and then James Halliday told us there was a lot of money and we could go and get it by completing <laughs> you the know game. That's not what and we then mean. the guy went and did the thing and completed the game. You know that's like... <laughs> not what we mean, David. Fuck you. <laughs> 
Like there comes I mean, a point where the book like has to be a book, yo. <laughs> I do feel like I, I and I hate to that's agree true, with David. Chris because it's Chris and he says some things. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel like the same amount of information could have been conveyed in a more efficient way. You're probably not wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, in general, like this actually is only like four pages, I think. And we just keep interrupting with nonsense. But it feels so much longer. Yeah, because we keep interrupting with nonsense. <laughs> no, those are happy oasises of not this. Maybe it's just we're, we're going to need to find some brain donors. Oh. That's a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people know about that classic John Totoro comedy set in the 80s. That was the stuff. Stop, yeah, my I've seen the stuff. Shoot. Uh... I feel like I just got zapped. <laughs> I think we're going to have to shrink ourselves down and go inside of Chris's brain to sort this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that, because Kane is the Demolition Man. Still uh, not. No, Demolition Man isn't. No, that's wrong. wrong time period, buddy. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm wondering if it's near dark yet. David, read uh, the book. <laughs> the list had 10 numbered spots. In each displayed you, the initials JDH, James Donovan Halliday, Followed by a score of six zeros. Joint dick homage. Uh... This high score list quickly became came to be known as the scoreboard. Because it was a Just scoreboard. Below the scoreboard <laughs> was an icon that looked like a yeah, but this is capitalized and in quotes. The scoreboard. The scoreboard. God damn it. Just below the scoreboard was an icon that looked like a small leather-bound book, which linked to a free downloadable copy of Anorak's Almanac, a collection of hundreds of Halliday's undated journal entries. Is that oh, gosh. Polo's Guide? Yeah. <sighs> the Almanac was, it was over also a, a free downloadable copy long. of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> but it contained few details about Halliday's personal life or his day-to-day activities. Most of the entries were his stream of consciousness observations on various classic video games, science fiction, novels, movies, comic books, and 80s pop culture, mixed with humorous diatribes denouncing everything from organized religion to diet soda. He's a real American hero. What a dumb douchebag. Super. I feel so in danger. I need need a safety dance. So (laughs) up his own ass. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, imagine all that we just heard. Yeah. But instead of that dumb introduction that we got with him dancing, imagine if it started with him talking about the Easter egg, and then he went on to say, you know, like, like very genuinely, in these last moments of my life, I look at my fortune, and I'm not sure if that's what I want to be remembered for. I don't know if people will remember me. And then that leads into him leaving all his journal entries, and, and it's it's not like a celebration, it's like, it's more of a desperate action. Would that change the, the tone of all this? It might. It might make the character a little more likable. Is it just me? Like, is it just my per- like shit that I'm projecting onto this guy? Probably. Be- because I feel like the book wants him to be like a, this hero mentor character. I don't... No, and I find him anymore. deeply annoying. I don't know because we can't get through the yeah. introduction for us to know who he is. <laughs> I think that he's he's mostly meant to serve the same like 
not hero or mentor, just like the wizard that gives you the quest. Sure. That's the role that he's playing. The wizard in fucking Zelda had the fucking... He only said two sentences. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. And he was done. I don't know. I just think that you guys are acting like some gremlins. I feel like we're acting more like critters, honestly. Yeah. 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 Night of the creeps out here. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's not a puppet master, right? That's right. Can we just read the book so this guy will hear tales of the crypt? Because he's dead. You're still missing the mark there, buddy. (laughs) Come on! One of them's going to land. I know it. (laughs) I thought he had found his way when he threw out the safety dance. uh, I don't know. I think I'm alone now. (laughs) Come on. Girls just want to have fun. You already saw that one, Joe. You can't use (laughs) it. I do that one. God damn it. Let's continue. We're just breaking here. Don't you want a Fanta? Fanta? It's a mad world. (laughs) The hunt, as the contest came to be known, quickly wove its way into global culture. Like winning the lottery, finding Halliday's Easter egg became a popular fantasy among adults and children alike. It was a game anyone could play, and at first there seemed to be no right or wrong way to play it. The only thing Anarok's almanac seemed to indicate was that a familiarity with Halliday's various obsessions would be essential to finding the egg. This led to a global fascination with 1980s pop culture. Fifty years after the decade had ended, the movies, music, games, and fashions of the 1980s were all the rage once again. By 2041, spiked hair and acid-washed jeans were back in style, and covers of hit 1980s pop songs by contemporary bands dominated the music charts. People who had actually been teenagers in the 80s, all now approaching old age, had the strange experience of seeing the fads and fashions of their youth embraced and studied by their grandchildren. I mean, that that just happens normally. Yeah. Pop culture I mean, recycling itself. That's like, not that I, weird. When I was in my 20s, the 40s style was all yeah, the rage. The happy days thing in the 70s. Like that's, that's just right. a thing that happens. The 70s show in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pop will eat itself. Mm, video killed the radio star. That is also an 80s reference. <laughs> <laughs> a new subculture was born, composed of the millions of people who now devoted every free moment of their lives to searching for Halliday's eggs. <laughs> <laughs> At first, these individuals were known simply as egg hunters. No, we're done. It's the book. That's it. We're done. But this was quickly truncated to the nickname Gunters. During the first year of the hunt, being a gunter was highly fashionable, and nearly every Oasis user claimed to be one. When the first anniversary of Halliday's death arrived, the fervor surrounding the contest began to die down. An entire year had passed, and no one had found anything. Chris is still giggling about Halliday's eggs. Not a single key or gate. Part of the problem was the sheer size of the Oasis. (laughs) It contained thousands of simulated worlds where the keys might be hidden, and it could take a gunter years to conduct a thorough search of any one of them. Also, I'm sorry, but no matter how many times you say gunter, it's not going to get any less lame. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I, uh, I can confirm that having read this book, that that is like my least favorite part. God damn it. Why did it have to be Gunters? Gunters. My ding ding dong. Why not just call them Egg Hunters? Well, they did, and it got shortened to Gunter. That's not how that works. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. 
it honestly is how that works and exactly how it would work. Yeah, and like we I get it, just but it's as not much. cool. Yeah. Yep. Despite all the professional gunters who boasted on their blogs that they were getting closer to a breakthrough every Despite day. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. The truth. Oh, wrong era. Yeah. Sorry, we can't accept any 90s references this episode. <laughs> yep. Can we just go to the part where the, no. whoever the main character no. is rides a Tron no. bike? No. <laughs> just watch Tron. Despite all of the professional gunters who boasted on their blogs that they were getting closer to a breakthrough every day, the truth gradually became apparent. No one really even knew exactly what it was they were looking for or where to start looking for it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is it me you're looking for? Looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> I need a hero. <laughs> I'm holding out for a hero till the morning light. Johnny Five is alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> another year passed. And another. We were still reading this book. <laughs> still nothing. The general public lost all interest in the contest. I've lost all interest in this book. <laughs> People began to assume it was all just an outlandish hoax perpetrated by a rich nut job. Others believed that even if the egg really did exist, no one was ever going to find it. Meanwhile, the Oasis continued to evolve and grow in popularity, protected from takeover attempts and legal challenges by the ironclad terms of Halliday's will and the army of rabid lawyers he had tasked with administering his estate. Halliday's Easter egg gradually moved into the realm of urban legend, and the ever-dwindling tribe of Gunters gradually became the object of ridicule. Each year, on the anniversary of Halliday's death, newscasters jokingly reported on their continued lack of progress. And each year, more Gunters called it quits, concluding that Halliday had indeed made the egg impossible to find. Another year went by, and another. Then, on the evening of February 11th, 2045, an avatar's name appeared at the top of the scoreboard. Oh, shit, the whole dog. world to see. After five long years, the copper key had finally been found by an 18-year-old kid living in a trailer park on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. That kid was me. Dozens of That books, kid was Barack Obama. Cartoons, <laughs> movies, and miniseries have attempted to tell the story of everything that happened next, but every single one of them got it wrong. So I want to set the record straight, once and for all. Level one. They're not chapters. They're, they're levels. levels, of course. Oh, that's so hip. <laughs> it's hip to be square. I was expecting a chapter because it's a book, <laughs> but it's a level like a video game, and it's a book about video. It's so deep. It just keeps going. Are you going to be okay? No. Level one. Being human totally sucks most of the time. <laughs> Actually, real quick, David, before you get into that, do we want to stop very tidily at the end of chapter one and then do another two session for this one? Sure. I'm cool with that. I do kind of want to give this book a chance. Because I'm having fun, at least. Yeah. Honestly, it's not a poorly written book at all. Like, yeah, we should do a, uh, like, an outro. Yeah, yeah, we got to do an We got to do an outro, but wait. If we don't finish the first chapter, am I able to go into the incinerator? We did finish the first chapter. This is technically the first chapter. That was the uh, the preface. That was like zero. This is one. Sure. That was the tutorial level. So I think you're allowed to go into yeah, the incinerator. I, I think that yeah. counts as finishing a chapter. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm going to make a prediction for the end of this book. Mm -hmm. Otterok, whatever his name is. Gorgon, whatever. He, he's a genius. Uh-huh. 
Because at the end, when you find... Is he Elminster? When you find all the eggs and you get to him, his virtual self, and like he stands between you and, and, and the Scrooge McDuck fortune, and he looks at you and says, you have found the eggs, and now you must face your final challenge. Will you take the treasure? But if you do, you must resist giving me an atomic wedgie. I'm like, oh, I'm trying so hard. I don't want to give him an atomic. I, I, but I can't. I have to. I think my prediction is that You're our narrator <laughs> is probably going to be the one who finds the egg. Mm. That's my prediction. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a safe prediction to make, David. You're very smart. Hey, you know, I've been doing this a while. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and correct this book. Here's how this challenge would have gone. Somebody would have bought the Prima strategy guide and just jumped <laughs> right through it. No, not that. No, not that. So he, like, genuinely made this challenge for Scrooge McDuck Willy Wonka reasons. Mm-hmm. And then he releases it, expecting it to be this really long challenge. But hackers just hack it in the first day and take the money. I mean, the premise being that, like, there's a, a second lifestyle world... That is snow crash simulated snow crash. Yeah. World on the internet where somewhere is hidden something that you have to find and you get $245 billion if you win. Mm -hmm. Sounds to me like a few thousand people would have been working together. Yeah. Sharing notes like from day one. I don't disagree. I've seen things on the internet work that way. Right. Did you guys hear about that Peter Molyneux thing? No. It's very relevant. At one point, I I can't remember if this was before his last take on the Fable games or after Fable 3, but he released an app where it was like a cube of cubes, and each cube you had to push a hundred times, or like a thousand times. You'd you'd tap it a thousand times before it would break, and it was like a hundred cubes. Whatever it was, it was like you had to tap it a hundred thousand times to get to the core. And he said that at the core of this is a truly life-changing thing. You know, you'll get through it, and it'll change your life forever. And uh, a group of people got together and you know, did this. And when they got to the bottom, guess what they found? A entry-level job hmm. position at Lionhead Studios. Wow. <laughs> wow, Peter Molyneux. Wow. He's such a... He's How's such Lionhead a, Studios yeah. doing these days? <laughs> uh they were eaten by microsoft and i don't think existed yeah, that, that was one of those things where like when microsoft ate it i was like good so hot take maybe unpopular opinion <laughs> but fable was dog shit compared to black and white mm-hmm. yeah that's what i've heard i never played black and white i have a lot of fondness for fable one me too but i was also when i played it it was mind blowing. I was young enough that it was like, oh shit, this is amazing. Yeah, same for me. I just remember being wildly disappointed <laughs> by Fable 1. Did you hear about Project Genesis? Well, I, I, I remember how it was being sold. Right. The talk up that Molyneux did before the game came out made it sound mm-hmm. like the most phenomenal thing. You can't say that individually. Well, sure. Every yeah. game he's ever yeah. released. Yeah, he, he lies. Every like, game it, he puts it, out. In legalese, in regards to advertisement, there's a term called fluff, which is that gray middle ground where you're hyping up the project without lying. No lawyer would ever call what Peter Molyneux did fluff. He'd be like, no, that is outright deception. <laughs> to the extent that, like, his own team has been like, what the f- what did he tell, what did he say? Like, we can't do that. Yeah, 
Black and White was solid. I should go back and play Black and White. It's probably on GOG. I was fortunate enough to not hear about any of the marketing. Ooh, I just I had right. a roommate Same. that had well, an original really. Xbox, and I just played it. Basically, he was playing it, and it looked cool. And I didn't know what it was meant to be. I just knew what it was, and, and I was pretty blown away by I it. I want to just pivot here for a second and just ask you guys. So... We mentioned before, you know, like the similarities this has to Snow Crash in the existence of the second world reality, like artificial. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, sure, sure. But more to the point that the like Mm -hmm. simulated environment that everyone lives inside of, which was a sort of a trope in science fiction for a long time. And we are now literally at the point where that technology exists. Like Second Life is a thing that's been around for over a decade now. Mm -hmm. I've heard that there are people that dress up like animals and then get paid to strip tease. (laughs) That's probably (laughs) true. Yeah. Um, There there were definitely... Yeah, probably yeah. hypothetically. Yeah, you know, Kate, in I'll, the, have, like, I'll have to look into one that. Month see if I can that find I spent out on you. Second Life, I was constantly batting flying penises out of my head. So right, yeah, and even like fairly immersive VR is catching on. The only thing really holding it back is uh, cost of entry. Do you think that's really all it is? Because it feels to me like you know, sure, Second Life became a den of. Just terrible iniquity, fucking (laughs) awful place where you can't walk down the street without having flying penises launched at your head. And I guess ultimately, given freedom and restriction from their own identities, people will ultimately just become it's because of a lack of God in their life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, Kane's right. But like, what is it? Do you think that honestly stopped that from becoming a thing? In the way that so many books posited that it would. Well, I think a lot of it is that if you were to somehow trap consciousness uh-huh. and then unleash it into the internet, that mind would go absolutely insane. I'm not saying this like I know from experience or anything like that, but if you release a consciousness into the internet, it would replicate over and over again and go completely and totally insane. Sure. I can't imagine any other end that yeah i think on a more practical level um i think that what people were looking at in terms of the 80s and 90s is they were looking at how quickly computers were advancing well i mean the real (laughs) question honestly is do you want to play a game finish game (laughs) (laughs) how about a nice game of chess (laughs) the only way to win is not to play and I, i think part of it is also that people who don't understand how computers work look at a computer that can beat Bobby, what was his yeah. name, Fisher? Yeah. And like, oh my god, computers have only been around for like a like a decade or so. And humans have been around for like millions of years, and it's already gotten to this level. But, you know, that's you know, chess is easy for computers. It's hard for us. So stuff like that and then you, you go like, well, where is this going to go in the next decade? But then you run into heat problems that you don't really, you, you don't experience as much with uh, more basic computers. Mm-hmm. It's like as you're advancing and as you're starting out. So like if, if you invent the hammer and you smash a small rock with it and you're like, oh my God, this hammer can, can destroy anything. And then you, and like with that little piece of evidence, you're imagining this huge, whatever it's going to become. And then you take it up to a right. boulder 
and try to hit it and it doesn't do anything and then and then that changes your perception of your imagination does that make sense yeah people were extrapolating from the potential sure. of the technology without realizing the limitations that i they mean were going roads, to along the way. where we're going we won't need roads <laughs> god damn it <sighs> going back in time <sighs> but now that the technology actually does exist though mm-hmm. why is it not happening because the framework's already there there are you know vr setups and yeah they're a little more expensive but as people were adopting those, the price would go down. And I don't read Wired. I'm not heavily into tech. But from what I've seen, because VR can do some crazy shit even now, mm-hmm. I think that one of the stumbling blocks in terms of mass adoption to, to full VR is, is just that the average person is kind of priced out of it. Okay. Yeah. So fuck it. Let's stop here i guess we finished a chapter and then we went on a weird tear very uncharacteristic for the brain <laughs> yeah we're always very topical and on task yeah, yeah we stay on task the whole time yeah very pointed commentary mm-hmm. why the people trust us does anybody have anything they want to add no just uh don't stop believing nice I am going to remind you to go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com where you can support us via Patreon and, uh, you know, find all of our links to all of our things. Thank you for listening. We're very sorry. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah. They're sorry. <laughs> this has been a production of Brainworms Presents. Any copyrighted content contained within is used for purposes of review. Brainworms Podcast is David Combs, Kane Magdalene, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. The theme music is HodgePod Number 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, you can support us and learn about our other projects at wegiveyoubrainworms.com or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. Time to play a game.